Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care, and during this podcast, we'll be speaking with a researcher of two studies published in AJMC's annual health information technology issue that came out this month. Ensuring open and accessible health information exchange during transitions of care has been sought after for years, and the topic was a popular one in this month's issue of AJMC. Dr. Dory Cross, an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota's School of Public Health, was an author in a study that determined the proportion of patient transitions that could be connected through three proprietary alternatives to open, community-based health information exchange as well as a study that characterized the drivers of use of electronic health information exchange by skilled nursing facilities to access patient hospital data during care transitions. Today, we speak with Dr. Cross about the latter study, which concluded that health information exchange offers significant potential to address unmet informational needs during transitions, but workflow barriers and design limitations currently limit value. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the opportunity. I think this will be this will be a lot of fun. So to start off, can you discuss what some of your main findings about the use of health information exchange between hospitals and skilled nursing facilities were? Sure. So we were looking at one example of health information exchange. So we were looking at the availability of a portal for the SNF, uh, the skilled nursing facilities, to log in and look at the hospitals. Um, internal electronic health record as a way of trying to further strengthen kind of the information continuity and the information sharing uh, to support that transition as patients were moving from the hospital to the skilled nursing facility. And, um, you know, it's interesting. So kind of at first glance, we found that the portal was being used for just under 50% of patients when it was made available. Um, So thinking about a patient moving from the hospital to the skilled nursing facility and then capturing record of that skilled nursing facility logging in and using the portal to access information for that patient. And a usage rate of 46% is actually um, pretty good compared to the usage rates that you see in other studies of health information exchange use. Um, But certainly 46% is not great. And when we look specifically at use right around the timing of a patient transitioning, which is when we thought that the portal would be most useful, you know, the patient is getting to the skilled nursing facility, they're setting up the care plan, they're trying to figure out exactly what that patient needs and what happened to them in the hospital. Um, We expected the use to really be concentrated there, and there was a clustering, but the overall usage rate within that transition window was just under 30%. And so that led to a lot of questions as to, you know, what's driving decisions to use the portal and what might be restricting um, SNFs using the portal in uh, contexts where it would otherwise be um, kind of useful and a value add to get information that they need to better take care of patients and their care. 
And so, you know, kind of the key takeaway is that it wasn't just as simplistic as, you know, portal use goes up when information needs are greater. Um, certainly the, the need for information is what's driving use of the portal, but there are so many other um, kind of factors around how the portal was was designed and was implemented that prevented um, kind of consistent use of the portal and use in situations where we would expect it to to deliver value for improving handoffs. Right. And so were you surprised at the finding that night and weekend discharges were less likely to use health information exchange? Yeah, that's a great question. I was surprised. So we had hypothesized that that was one situation where portal use would be more likely. So if you think about a patient being discharged on the weekend, for example, um, there's reduced staffing in the hospital, there's reduced staffing um, at the skilled nursing facility. And so you might expect that kind of the standard, the other standard elements of discharge documentation might not be as robust. Um, so when you have reduced staffing, maybe the protocol isn't followed exactly for producing the paper discharge documentation or the nurse-to-nurse -nurse handoff phone call that's supposed to happen. Maybe that's less likely to happen on the weekend. And so you'd expect the need for information access through the portal might go up in those cases. They're not getting the right. full picture through these other mechanisms, and that's an opportunity for the portal to be used. And it kind of highlights the importance of our mixed methods approach and using the qualitative data to, to explain this finding, because what was actually behind it was, um, regardless of the information need on nights and weekends, the skilled nursing facility staff had no way of accessing the portal. The use of the portal was restricted to high-level administrators at the skilled nursing facility, so the director of nursing, the overall facility administrator. And those high-level administrators are work more kind of standard business hours. They're not always there nights and weekends. And so there could be that a floor, a floor nurse at the SNF actually did have um, a need to gather additional information. They had a question that wasn't being answered through the paper documentation. But the ability to use the portal to answer that question wasn't available to them because they couldn't log in um, and the, the, those with access to the portal weren't there during those times. And so it kind of, you know, there's a bigger question around, you know, understanding when the portal uh, is likely to be used and uh, by whom for what informational needs and making sure that the system is designed and implemented in a way where it's accessible and usable by those who need it. You mentioned the use of qualitative data. So how did the qualitative interviews help you contextualize the results of the analyses? Yeah, so the qualitative data was really critical here. Um, the, the quantitative data that we were using is, um, is really neat and interesting. Um, using audit log data to, that captures every action that the SNF um, took in the portal is kind of a really interesting and relatively new source of data. Um, that kind of data that captures not what's in the EHR, but how the EHR is being used kind of tells us a lot. Um, 
but that's not a source of data that's traditionally used for research. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of cleaning up that needs to happen. And also the data only tells you part of the story. So we found some interesting associations and we had some areas where our hypotheses were not lining up with what we expected. Again, kind of thinking in that simplistic way of information need is the primary driver of the portal being used. And so the qualitative data was really helpful in trying to figure out what those those implementation challenges were. So, you know, to hear the skilled nursing facility staff actually describe, you know, the way they admit a patient and the way they interact with the various sources of information available to them, which includes but is certainly not limited to the portal, to understand from their perspective what value they saw in the portal and if and when they they used the portal and kind of what what they thought was restricting use to its full extent and ways they thought it could be useful and kind of what the what the guidance should be moving forward for how the portal could be more useful and accessible to them. So you've mentioned that there are a variety of factors that go into the use of the health information exchange. So why is it so important that you understand these factors that drive information exchange use during post-acute transitions? You know, as with IT and information exchange in any other context, we we know enough to know that just simply adopting, simply putting it in place is not sufficient. That if we really want to reap uh, the benefits of the tremendous investment we've made in in health information technology, we need to understand and kind of disseminate knowledge about when and how use of health information technology is driving, is generating value. And so, you know, the usage rates of this portal were pretty low. And so if a hospital is thinking about investing further in information exchange with post-acute providers or really with any other provider, but I'll talk specifically about this context, if they're trying to strengthen handoffs with skilled nursing facilities, it's important to underscore that just making the portal available or any other type of information sharing platform is likely not going to drive improvement. You're not going to see a drastic change in patient experience or quality, kind of measuring things like readmissions. And so we need to look and say, okay, well, you know, when it was being used, why? <laughs> you know, where where are the users perceiving value and how can we kind of play up those use cases and make them more accessible and um, more kind of standard practice? And in places where it's not being used, but we anticipate it being that it, it would be useful, What's preventing that use and how can we, you know, develop system design and implementation and use guidelines that help organizations prevent those key challenges that are going to stand in the way of, again, kind of achieving that value from the investment that we're making in this greater information availability through technology. All right. And so what were some specific barriers that led to the underuse of health information exchange in this context? Sure. So one that I mentioned before was um, kind of specifically about who had access and, um, you know, restricting access to high-level administrators 
um, was difficult because those who were most directly involved in patient care and might have the most immediate patient needs were the floor nurses, and there was kind of an additional hurdle for them to access any information through the portal. I think the other, another big piece was um, that in the, in the initial rollout of this portal, there was really never any directed conversation or trainings around when and how the portal could be useful, could be valuable. And so as with any other type of tool or intervention or any change that you're trying to implement, you know, it has to be, the value has to be kind of readily perceived. And um, I think there was a lot of confusion over, okay, if we're going to integrate this new technology into our workflows and make this a standard part of care, why? What are we getting out of this that's different from the handoff phone call, that's different from the paper discharge documentation? Um, what, you know, what are kind of the key use cases that we should be using this portal for? And kind of what are the guidelines around when and how we should be using this portal to support care transitions? And those conversations didn't really happen. And so I think there was just a lot of uh, initial confusion or just a, a lack of a clear guidelines around when and how the portal could be used. And so over time, it just led to a drop, kind of, you know, a drop in the overall use and also you know, people in each facility found some examples of use that worked for them, and they just stuck with that. That became kind of more standard part of workflow, but there weren't necessarily conversations across facilities saying, oh, well, we use it to, you know, prepare the room for patient's arrival. Uh, you use it to, you know, look up historic records of labs and x-rays to see if patients had history of falls. You know, so that kind of sharing of knowledge to make sure that everybody had the best chance of identifying and implementing portal use in ways that was really kind of value add. The, the last barrier that I think is important to acknowledge is that sometimes the skilled nursing facilities were looking for specific pieces of information that were not um, easily accessible or available at all. And so specifically, a lot of facilities mentioned that, you know, they provide institutional residential care for their patients during rehabilitation. And it's not just a matter of exchanging the clinical care information, it's exchanging the, the social needs and the social care information as well to make sure that they're ready and prepared and have knowledge of what that patient's home environment might look like. Or again, even though it doesn't directly impact clinical care, it's relevant to the providers at the SNF if the patient has um, you know, a difficult family dynamic, there's feuding children, there's, you know, there are these other factors that are that are relevant when it comes to providing um, kind of comprehensively good care. And that information, you know, was perceived to be collected at the hospital through social work notes or sometimes through kind of initial nursing notes, but that information was not made available. And so when we think about kind of what information needs are to support a, a good transition between hospital and post-acute setting, and even kind of care transitions generally, it's important to think about kind of what are the information elements that actually support 
a strong transition and thinking about pieces of information outside of explicitly clinical information that could be relevant. So given these barriers and what you've learned from the study, what do you think are some steps that could increase the use of health information exchange during post-acute transitions? Yeah, so I think it's it's addressing those those initial barriers. So I think, you know, if hospitals and skilled nursing facilities are going to invest in implementing this the sharing platform, it behooves both parties to really sit down on the front end and talk about, um, you know, what do we want this to look like? What are the problems that we're trying to solve? What are the key kind of information discontinuities that are putting patients at risk? Let's make sure that the portal is kind of designed in a way that facilitates access to that information. And let's also, you know, give skilled nursing facilities the opportunity to talk about these implementation challenges and kind of what's needed um, on their end to make sure that they can access and use the portal when it makes sense to do so. So thinking about um, what are the appropriate user rights, thinking about um, kind of guidance around around. Uh, workflow integration for kind of when the portal should be used. Things like that, I think, could really drive up use of information exchange in this context. Um, And then the last piece being, again, kind of, um, yeah, you know, thinking about what, uh, I guess I already said, kind of what the information needs are and um, kind of thinking about information outside of just the, the clinical care information that could be relevant and would kind of spark greater use of the platform. Right. And so now, given your findings, what do you think are some other study questions that might be valuable to analyze in the future? Yeah. So one limitation of this of this work is that we studied one instance. And so this is, you know, one example of a portal between one hospital and a few partnering skilled nursing facilities. And I do think it's important to study different contexts and different uh, kind of mechanisms for sharing. I think that this is just, you know, kind of one step down that road, but it's always helpful to kind of get more examples of different types of information sharing and kind of how, you know, how this has been tried out in different places and what what impact it had. I think that, yeah, being able to study this in a broader context would be would be really useful. So, for example, um, you know, thinking about community-wide information exchanges and how post-acute providers are participating in those types of community-based information sharing platforms, I think would be would be really important to move this work forward. Um, I also think that in order to encourage a kind of redesign of what these information sharing platforms should look like and specifically what types of information are being shared, I think there needs to be more work around what is the the effect of sharing social care information at the point of transition. You know, if we can, you know, if the idea is, you know, skilled nursing facilities are saying, look, this helps us provide better care. Our patients are happier. We're providing better service qualitatively they're saying it's we can be better providers and that is not just improving patient experience but that could also be reflected in outcomes you know if the patient is really upset with our care and they feel like we're not being sensitive to their needs 
you know, they might be pushing to go back to the hospital, and that's a potentially avoidable readmission. So that's something that really, you know, should matter both to the skilled nursing facility and to the hospital who's increasingly being penalized for things like that. And so, you know, if we're able to kind of look at examples of sharing that information and seeing what impact that has, both qualitatively and ideally quantitatively, empirically, I think will provide a greater evidence base for hospitals and skilled nursing facilities to think about their information sharing efforts in a, in a more knowledgeable and nuanced way. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. To read the study and more from this month's annual Health IT issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe.